0: Romans 15, our text will be verses 4 to 13, but maybe I'll read the first three verses for context. And just for the, uh, for the connection, verse 3 is a quote. The quote there is from Psalm 69. So Romans 15, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And here's the beginning of our text. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and let all peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So far, the reading of God's word. Beloved in the Lord, this is the goal of Paul's work, Paul's words in the book of Romans. That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification by faith, Our freedom in the Spirit, our walk in the Spirit, our hope in the God who preserves, even the rejection of the Jews for the sake of the Gentiles, are all foundational to the call to come together before the Lord and glorify Him with one voice. Paul's burning desire is the unity of the church in praise before Christ Jesus. The driving goal of Paul's life is to be a minister of the reconciliation of God. That reconciliation goes two ways, vertically up and down and horizontally between one another. Paul is after all a servant of the one through whom God will reconcile through whom God will reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. So I bring you the word of the Lord under the theme hope for unity in Christ. First we'll see the unity of the church and then we'll see the unity of the nations. Unity isn't that a fantasy. We look around and every time it seems new some new fissure has made itself apparent. Unity in Christ. Even if we only include those we might consider orthodox, it seems a far-fetched reality, besides the fractures that become apparent in our own circles. But this passage doesn't command us to find the answer to all these problems. It doesn't command us to look over all the problems or forget about them. Even bearing with the weaker brother, they're still a stronger and a weaker The call call of Paul, the call of Christ, is to hope. Imagine if you're an Israelite in the late kingdom period. What I mean by that is the time well after the stories of Ahab and Elijah and Elisha. You're under maybe Hosea in the north, or maybe you're under Hezekiah in the south, or even before Hezekiah. You will look upon, let's say you're in the southern kingdom. You're going to look upon your brother in the north unfavorably. You will remember how the northern kingdom produced the tyrant Athaliah who ruled over your own land. You'll remember how the northern kingdom rejected the true worship of God and built golden calves. At one point, you, you may have been taken captive by the northern kingdom in the wars between northern and southern kingdoms. There were so many reasons for the South to hate the North and vice versa. And yet we can see so many places in Scripture where God promises that God's going to bring those two back together. God will break down that wall of hostility. And he does do so. You can see that in the book of Nehemiah, where you have all the tribes of Israel, mostly Judah but still representatives of every tribe coming together. And there are even greater plans that God has for the future. We read in Isaiah 56 how God will incorporate the eunuch and the foreigner in Israel. The eunuch barred from the covenant of worship of God will receive a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. The foreigner will be accepted at God's altar. Isaiah 56 gives hope for a future for the, that the outcasts of Israel can think of the ones in exile could not imagine. I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. The people of Israel are subjected in hope for the anointed one who will bring unity. Similarly, we are subjected in hope so that God may continue his work of reconciliation. Our opening verse, verse 4, follows the encouragement of Paul in uniting strong and weak in the church. He tells us that the strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And so, they are like... Christ. They bear Christ and that they take shame upon themselves for the sake of their brothers. They give up their rights for the sake of their brothers. And he gives us this promise to encourage us in our task. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. He points us To the scriptures. The task of receiving one another, the task of encouraging one another to look past the things of earth that pull our attention away from the bigger things, is not an easy task. Our zeal for the house of the Lord, and understand that the house of the Lord here are the people of God, can generate reproach or shame even from fellow Christians. We can also feel that our efforts bear no fruit. We can feel like our efforts are worthless as we seek to build bridges in order to demonstrate love and promote righteousness. In all this, God uh, encourages us to continue to hope that we may experience greater and greater unity with our brother and sister in Christ. And Paul simply and firmly calls us to the scriptures here. The scriptures are given us as teaching and encouragement for receiving one another. We see the patience and the faith of those who have gone before. How God has used the suffering of his saints for the good of his church. And more importantly, we see God's own patience with the saints in their struggles. And we see God's deliverance. And that gives us strength to endure in receiving brothers who don't seem to get it from our perspective. And you can insert a whole host of issues here. This hope leads Paul to express his hope for the church in this marvelous prayer. May the God of endurance and encouragement... That is, the God who produces endurance in me, the endurance to continue to receive my weaker brother, to receive people who are very different than me, the God who gives me patience with my brother's weakness, and the strength to continue to encourage him in overcoming that weakness. May that God grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Paul promises that through the scriptures, God will give the strong the ability to bear with the weak and so produce a harmonious community. In this context, the strong are clearly those who can eat meat and or eat especially unclean animals and who no longer feel conscious bound to observe the old Jewish regulation. However, Though this is true, there's an even deeper level of truth here. The strong are those who are still willing to accept brothers who act differently. And in that case, even the one with the weak understanding could be the stronger brother. They're still willing to accept brothers who act differently differently. The strong are able to humble themselves like Christ and their own interests for the sake of their brothers. The strong are those who are able to set aside their rights for others. This is in accord with Christ Jesus. So, this does not allow for a unity with those who are in rebellion against Christ Jesus. And so undermines those who would seek to build church unity on false grounds. And this accord with Christ Jesus, it certainly includes the attitude of Christ Jesus. For Jesus is the one who the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on him. He takes Psalm 69 on his lips. He takes our reproaches on himself. To be like Jesus is a willingness to bear shame, a willingness to lose the fight or lose the argument in order to refrain from continuing to hurt your brother. We can talk about win-win, win-lose, lose-lose, But Christ gives us a way to lose so that we might win something greater, a friend and a brother, a fellow worshiper of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that doesn't mean the issues aren't important. We can look at the issues that divided the church at the time of Paul. According to Paul, you had to receive Gentiles as full members of the church. That issue was essential. If you didn't agree with that, you were preaching another gospel. In order to be a Christian, you have to recognize that those who repent and believe fully belong to the household of God. But joining two peoples together brings two very different cultures in conflict with one another. On a practical level, he commends patience for those who continue to feel conscious bound to a certain practice that had been fulfilled in Christ. That issue is important. We do need to recognize, and I think the church now today, for the, the great majority, is that the old world of Judaism is gone. However, that belief, that belief, that holding on to some of those old forms if you're still willing to accept other brothers in Christ, it does not undermine the fact that you are both washed, sanctified, and justified in Christ. According to Paul, Christians should feel complete freedom to eat unclean animals. So there's a purpose to to patience with one another. His hope is that through a sacrificial approach to our brother on this non-essential issue, There will be an eventual greater unity. The hope is that through patience and a Christ-like attitude, the two groups will eventually reach a similar mind. The Christ-like patience will result in sharing a Christ-like mind. That harmony among the people of God is to produce a people that together may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that gives us, as it were, the heart of the issue. The purpose is not my glory, my needs, however justified they may be. The purpose is the glory of God. Christ went to death, was obedient unto death so that God may be glorified. The penultimate purpose, or the purpose that springs us into the final purpose, is the one voice of the church. We're reconciled together, and God's people sing praises together harmoniously, many parts of the body, coming together to bring one mighty sound that shakes the ground. I remember being at the Gospel Coalition Conference, and we had 6,000 people singing in Christ alone together. That perhaps gives us some little picture of that one voice. This is a unity we experience... And at the same time, we look forward to a greater manifestation of that unity. We delight in the unity we have, and we continue to sharpen each other with the iron of God's word. It is in that hope that we receive one another. Paul concurs, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That's the language of hospitality. We open our doors to fellow Christians as to brothers and sisters. But back to reality, or that is what some might say. Of course, this is the greater reality. But we do need to deal with the fact that, from my perspective, my brother is ignorant. My brother is deluded My brother is looking over this highly important issue. My brother puts his trust in this group of supposed experts or that group of supposed wise men. Worse, my brother returns to his sin like a dog to his vomit. My brother is so easily attracted to silly controversies. It's easy to pick out the sins of your brother. In this we are called to hope to receive our brother in hope. Yes, there is a moment where my brother may be disciplined, but even here I am called to receive my brother in hope. God took a group of hard-headed Israelites out of the land of Egypt, and he gave them everything, his presence, his temple, his law. And it was only after they disobeyed many times and complained many times that judgment came. And even then, when Moses in unrighteous anger called them out on their attitude, God punished, he didn't punish Israel, he punished Moses for failing to exhibit his patience and love. So let us delight in the unity we may have now and hope for an ever greater unity. This is where speaking the truth to one another in love comes in. That love is Christ's love. Look to the scriptures and the Spirit of God to form you in that hope. It's where Romans 8 comes in. We don't always understand our own needs or our brother's needs. So in the Spirit we grow. We always need to consider the fact that we might be the weaker brother too. For ourselves, for one another, as the new man becomes more and more manifest in us. Here I also encourage you to develop this attitude to your brothers and sisters in other churches in Manitoba. While honesty demands that we recognize many churches as in deep rebellion against Christ. There are many that do still demonstrate a love for the Lord. Here again, if we look merely at earthly things, we see an impossible situation, impossible walls, as, if, as it were, that exist between us. Yet I encourage you to subject yourself in hope for the unity of the church of Christ in all directions. For Christ has welcomed you. That brings us to our second point, the unity of the nations. Christ has welcomed you. Christ has spread a table for you and invited you to eat of his flesh and his blood. At this moment, we can't experience that. But we have the promises and the knowledge in the scriptures that continue to comfort us. Back to our text, verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Christ came to his own and his own did not receive him. Again, we see the hard-headedness of Israel. But Christ in his mercy died for Israel, so that despite the fact they did not show hospitality to him, he has demonstrated hospitality to them. Christ welcomed his own who repented, but he also came for the Gentiles, Paul adds, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Notice the pattern. Christ died as a servant for the circumcised, and through his love and mercy and desire for the righteousness of the people of God, through the shame he took upon himself for them, the Gentiles are also brought in. The Gentiles come and glorify God. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Christ's love for his own was missional. When we receive each other like Paul commends here, when we welcome each other as we were welcomed in Christ, the weak and the strong, we are a testament to the world about who Christ is. Another thing to remember here is the nature of the divide between Jew and Gentile. Arguably, this was the greatest divide between people groups at the time. Paul is telling us that Christ overcame that barrier through his suffering. He took the shame that was necessary in overcoming that. Ephesians 2, For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So Christ ended those laws of ordinances, we can think of the, un- the, the laws of clean and unclean, the temple laws. And through that, God overcame the divide between Jew and Gentile. The th- theology of Romans is foundational for overcoming that hostility. If the Gentile is justified in Christ, if he is a son of God, if he has the spirit, that is grounds for a different attitude toward him, an attitude of love. Think of the greatness and magnitude of God in all this. He is the one who overcame the hostility, and he continues to overcome hostility. The destruction of that wall of hostility gives us hope that God will continue to break down our walls. What are the walls of hostility out there today? There are racial ones, which though they have greatly decreased in the last hundred years, more recently seem to increase almost exponentially. There's urban and rural. There's poor and rich there's elite and non-elite, the cross of Christ can overcome those hostilities as well. And our greatest tool in this, again, is the Word. To go back to the beginning, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We have the Word, Let us study it so that we may be formed, so that we may endure for the sake of our brothers and sisters, and so that we may be, that we may look to sing together for the sake of the nations around us. Paul finishes with another prayer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. He is the God of hope. And he wants us to abound in that hope. That's foundational for patience and love and self-sacrifice. Hope for the future. Hope for what God is doing on this earth. And hope, the hope that we will be united with our Lord in heaven. Hope on the basis of his eternal word and promises to us. Abound in hope. Be filled with hope. The notion of moving to greater unity in the church. The notion of breaking the divide that exists between us and others. And I think of all divides in our society here, not just within the church. It's difficult to fully understand. But if we believe in the power of God, if we've seen the power of, gospel, of the gospel, then let us abound in hope. That doesn't mean we're going to see the fulfillment of that hope. Abraham abounded in hope. He didn't see the fulfillment of the hope that he would own the land of Canaan. But it did come. Those who seek to unite with other Christians by watering down the word or, to, or seek to convert the nations while watering down the word are missing in this important virtue. We might more naturally think of faith But in this context, there are missing in hope. The hope that is able to be patient in in slowly building bridges. In slowly, in subjection to the word, talking about what God teaches us. The hope that is able to wait for God to destroy the remaining objections to the gospel. Those who fear to welcome their brother, thinking they will lose something, are also lacking in hope. The hope that through receiving those who desire to submit to the same Christ, we will grow in the mind of Christ so that we will approach him with one voice. God demonstrated in Christ that he desires the reconciliation of all things we ought to desire like him. We might even say both groups forget the goal of coming together in one voice. And that is the glory of God. The glory of God. Half the congregation is not in any way in accord with Christ. That is not to the glory of God. So abound in hope for the sake of the glory of God, for one another, for your neighbor, that the whole earth may be full of the glory of God. Revelation 7 verse 9 and 10. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Even now, the glory and honor of the nations is coming into the church. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's sing in response from Psalm 103, Psalm 103, verses 7, 8, and 9.